Well, hey, welcome back to the Oasis Church Podcast. We're glad you're with us today. Hey, we're always inspired to hear how God is using this ministry from right here in Winchester, Virginia to change lives all around the world. And if you have a story to share, we'd love to hear it. Send us an email at amen at myoasischurch.org. Now, if you'd like to support this ministry financially so that we can continue to bring messages just like this one to you each and every single week, you can do so at myoasischurch.org slash give. Thank you so much for your generosity. You're truly making a difference. Now prepare your hearts to hear a word from God. Father God, we come before you this morning. We make room. We clear out a space. We remove the things that don't need to be there this morning and we focus on you. And we say, come. Search my heart. I give you the right and the authority to put your thumb on those things in my room that we need to talk about. Come, Holy Spirit. We say yes to you. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. A little bit of an odd morning. Pastor Jonathan, I'm Pastor Dwayne, an associate pastor here. Pastor Jonathan is out of town. And with that goes all of his um, electronic expertise. I told him when he said he was going to be gone, I said, just telling you, I know very little about computers. I know where the power button is. We're good. Thank you for coming. If this is your first time here, I want to welcome you. We, want, we hope that you feel like family. We encourage you to fill out a contact card. We, we hope to make you feel at home and also get you plugged in to build community here at Oasis. Jesus spoke mainly in parables. If you look through the New Testament, rarely did he quote scripture. Once in a while, but he told stories. This morning, I want to tell you a parable, or a story as it were, based on some actual facts. So if you would, in your mind's eye, follow me. See if you can imagine where this story leads, and what can you get out of it? How does it apply to you? Be part of the crowd. As Jesus spoke to the parables to the crowd, it spoke to each one differently. And I believe this will do the same for you. Some time ago, there was a couple. They were excited to get married. They started out their life. And they had two children. Two boys, actually. The boys were about 11 months apart. They were inseparable, but yet different. The oldest, he was very much an outgoing young man young kid. Everybody loved him. The younger, timid. The word was introvert. Matter of fact, he was the type of kid that could go into a crowd and nobody would really recognize him. They wouldn't even see him. But the older, you couldn't help but see him. He filled the room. Matter of fact, people would say, they're as thick as thieves. They didn't realize how accurate that statement was. 
Home life was good. Dad worked mainly on roofs, flat roofs to be specific, but that was his job. Things were going well. When the boys hit the age of four and five, dad had an accident at work. Things changed. He broke a hip. It took some time to recover, and then after that, he couldn't do the ladders. He couldn't do that line of work anymore, and he wound up taking menial jobs. He wasn't very happy. Matter of fact, he became a little abusive, more verbal than physical. Mom, by nature, was quiet, but she had to start taking in laundry to help out. And when Dad got in his moods, the boys would skip out. Mom would tell them, go out and play. Go find a game to play. And they found a game. As they got older, around the ages of 9 and 10 is when this started because things became tougher in the home. Actually, there were some meals that they wound up skipping. They went out and started playing a game. And the game was, in their small town, the older... He would distract people. People would listen to him. The younger, who, never, who nobody ever saw, he would lift something. An apple, maybe a pie. They found out that they were pretty good at this. And so when their mom said, get out of the house, and they would say, let's go play. Yeah, we got a game to play. Matter of fact, it got to the point when they were in their early teens that they knew that if they got caught, <laughs> there'd be hell to pay. And they didn't want to make dad worse off than he already was, that they had a look that before the younger would play his part in the game, the older would give him a look, whether now's a good time or now's a bad time. And once in a while, the family would head, head into the city for uh, activities that were going on. And they, the, the two boys, they loved the crowds because that's when they could play the game the easiest. And they started to be able to distinguish between who had something on them of value and who didn't. Well, when they hit the ages of 15 and 16, they came home one night and dad was not doing well. He had push mom around some, and the older, being by nature the type of person he was, he got in between them, and dad threw a punch. The younger blocked it, and he slugged his dad in the face. It put his dad back on the heel, on his heels, but they knew that things had changed. So the older grabbed the younger and said, let's, let's, let's bolt. So they took off. The parents didn't know that they would never see their kids again. But the boys knew, we got a game to play. And matter of fact, we're good at it. Well, fine. And they took off and lit out on their own, and they wanted, you know the saying, want to see the world. So they started bouncing around from town to town, and they liked the bigger towns better. But they couldn't stay long in case their game was caught. Well, they had heard of a crowd that was gathering. They heard a stirring in town of a crowd that was gathering by the lake. So they took off, 
And they couldn't believe that there was actually like 5,000 people there. But almost nobody had anything on them. And the kids actually spent some uh, more than a day searching. And these were poor people. Matter of fact, they hardly brought any food. But there was a man by the water, and they finally caught his name. His name was Jesus. And they didn't really buy into what he was saying because he was using terms like kingdom and father. But to these boys, the term father did not resonate because of where they came from. All of a sudden, food appeared. People said it was a miracle, but they didn't buy it and they took off for another place because there wasn't much there. As they continued on their travels, occasionally they would hear about this Jesus guy. But it really wasn't for them. They were not brought up in a religious home. Mom and dad would go to church, yeah, maybe once or twice a year. But they would go to the big festival in the big city because they loved to play their game there. And that city was, yes, Jerusalem. Well, it just so happened that this event was going to take place again called the Passover in Jerusalem. So the boys lit out because they knew that it would be ripe for the pickings. This was their game. Now, one of the things you must understand about the game and what they knew to be true because of the culture they grew up in, you don't want to get caught by the Romans. Because the Romans were not very forgiving. See, the, the kids had gotten busted a couple of times, but only by the Jewish people, and they weren't very harsh. They had no authority. The Romans were a different story. So they did not ever lift off of Romans. They could tell the difference. And that's where the signal came in, the older to the younger. Well, the one day they happened to be walking through, and they saw a young lady. She obviously had some valuables on her. And the, young, the older, he had a way of flirting. And as he was doing that and kept her attention, the younger got behind her. And before she knew it, he lifted off some jewelry. What they didn't know, they had no way of knowing, was this was the wife of a Roman general. And she had a bodyguard. He was off in the crowd watching, but he spotted the older pretty quick. But before he stepped in, in, he took a step back, and then he saw the younger, and he knew the game. And he waited till they made their move. Then he made his move. He grabbed them both and collared them. You talk about fear. The boys knew that they had been bit and they experienced a fear and anxiety like never before they were grabbed thrown in jail and they couldn't believe that the game was up the next few hours they had emotions that they had never experienced before and in the cell beside them there was another guy that was a rebel you maybe have heard his name his name was Barabbas, 
and they got to talking a little bit, they did not see any hope of how they were getting out of there. There was no way to contact mom and dad. As a matter of fact, dad would be ticked, if nothing else. But as they were spending time there, they knew that they were to stand before the judge in the afternoon. How bad can it be? They were only playing a game. But the judge was not having a good day. He sent all three of them to death. The death? Can you? What? Are you kidding? The dread and the anxiety hit an all-time high. Matter of fact, they were numb. That night was very long. As they, obviously, you can imagine, they couldn't sleep. They started hearing other things. They found out there was somebody else on trial. And this guy, they were putting in a bad way. And when they finally heard that this was Jesus, it was like, where have we heard that before? They started remembering some of their paths that had crossed with this man. But he was the one who said he had a kingdom and he had a father that loved him. How could he obviously be in a position like this? It made no sense. The next day, though, just as the Romans had promised, their time was coming. But all of a sudden, a ray of hope came. The jailer came in and said, one of you might get to go free. Pilate wants to release somebody, and he wants to release Jesus' guy, but i got to pick one of you to at least give them an option. And he pointed at Barabbas, and the brothers couldn't believe that their bad luck had spun even to that degree. They thought that they had hit a low point, but this was lower yet. About 9 o'clock in the morning, the Roman soldiers came in and drug them out and made them carry a cross. This was it. How could they be in this position? But they realized that the crowd wasn't really following them or saying a whole lot to them, but it was a lot of commotion behind them. And they looked back, and there was somebody else back there. Couldn't really see, couldn't really hear, but their minds were a blur. When they got to this place, the Romans threw them down, and before they knew it, they were nailed. They had never experienced such pain. And then to top it off, the Romans had even thought of splitting the two brothers up and putting this other guy right in between them to isolate them even more. It was this Jesus. They both looked at him, and, and they had seen him before, but this, was, this man looked nothing like what they had seen before. As they were listening to the crowd, even the religious leaders were jeering at him. They expected the Romans to accuse, but even some of the crowd said some pretty cruel and mean things. So these two joined in. But there was moments of quiet. And at one point, both brothers heard Jesus say, 
Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And especially the younger, who had such a terrible relationship with his dad, thought, who is he talking to that he would have that type of relationship with a father? It made no sense. Later, it was about two in the afternoon. The pain had somewhat numbed off. Hope was completely gone. His older brother started up again and said, Jesus, if you really are who you say you are, how can you not come down from this cross and take me with you? Something stirred up in the younger. The timidness in him pushed to the side. The fear that he was experiencing was now covered by the fear of eternity. The fear of what happens now. I'm a, I know I have hours to live. Then what? That fear took hold in a way that he had never expected. And he looked at his brother and said, how can you condemn this man? We know he's done nothing wrong. But we've played the game for years and have finally gotten what has come to us. And then he looked at Jesus and he said, I don't know your father. I don't know love like that. But I want to know him. Will you take me to go see him? I believe that where you're going after this is over is a place I've never experienced. And Jesus said, and you know it, today you will be with me in paradise. Yes, I've taken some liberties to that story. <laughs> it's obvious. But I think you get the point. We've been preaching on fear for the last couple of weeks. And Pastor Jonathan has done a really good job of talking about fear from human standpoint. But there's another fear that I want to talk with you this morning about godly fear. Fear, there is Two sides of fear. There is dread. There is, I can't believe this is happening. There is that sickening feeling in your stomach. But the other side of godly fear is an awe. There is an appreciation. There is a respect. And so when it comes to God, which should we have? And the answer is both. But how do you walk that out? What does that look like? Well, let's talk about that this morning. And how do you swing the pendulum from having a fear of God, of I'm afraid, to I have an awe and a respect for God? How do we get there? Well, let's talk about that this morning. Pastor Jonathan, one of the scriptures a few weeks ago that he had shared was found in Psalms 34.4. It says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. This is David talking, and he's saying, I sought the Lord, and I found a key. 
This is someone who had, has walked the path, and he's telling you about it. And then we see down in 34 verses 11, 12, and 13, we see where he says, Come, my children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. For those of you who love life and desire to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Seek peace and pursue it. He's given us two keys there of how to walk in peace and not fear. And it's not what you don't do, but what you should do. Two things he talks about. Don't lie. Tell the truth. The other thing is seek peace. <laughs> it sounds simple, but if you've got a job, it's not always easy. If you're married, it's not always easy to seek peace, is it? Been there, done that. But that's what we're called to do. And he's given us some advice of what we should do. Focus on doing the wrong, uh, focus on doing the right things. Don't worry about what you shouldn't do, focus on what you should do. But this morning, I want to tell you some things that I have learned when it comes to godly fear. You see, we all have things that we can share, things that we can learn. And there's a benefit to fearing God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Who doesn't want wisdom? Now, wisdom isn't just a high IQ. Wisdom is having knowledge and knowing how to apply the knowledge and at the right time. Who wouldn't want wisdom? Can I tell you, I have more wisdom now than I did as a teenager. Um, I'm trying to think. I think I was talking with Carol earlier before service, and we didn't get into specifics, but she was talking about how, yeah, as a young person, sometimes you don't make the best choices. Man, some of the things that I have two older brothers, some of the things that we did, man, if my parents knew. I remember taking my parents' car down a gravel road doing 120 miles an hour. Um, they weren't along, and I didn't have a seatbelt on. Made no sense, but at that age, you don't think twice. Now, I don't go over 15 miles an hour without buckling up. That's called wisdom. But with the scripture that I shared with you, it says, Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I want to talk with you about three things this morning. They are godly fear, the word Lord, and the word beginning. Sometimes you can take a simple scripture and you can break it down, and there's a lot of nuggets there that we want to pull from today. Godly fear was intentionally put inside us to keep us from going down some paths that have a bad direction. Do, do not ever push off the godly fear. Now, where does godly fear come from? Sometimes it's hearing a hellfire and brimstone sermon, like they say, in church. 
But do you know what? Hell is something that isn't preached about much anymore. That's why it's so important for you to develop godly fear through reading the Bible yourself. Start in Genesis and get through the book of Revelation. And tell me that there isn't a side of God that is judgment and wrath. Tell me that hell isn't real. It's in there. But if you know Jesus, that is not a fear that you need to deal with. It is a fear of awe and reverence. And with that, as you develop and grow in that, there is wisdom. Then the word Lord. How does that come into play with godly wisdom and dealing with fear? So many things that we deal with with fear is worrying about our kids, worrying about our house payments, worrying about our job, thinking about this. Now, there's a difference between concern and fear. Fear is something that wakes you up in the middle of the night. Fear is something that controls your emotions. Fear is something that makes you do things or act in ways that you normally wouldn't. But here's what I want you to understand about fear and the word Lord. If Jesus is truly your Lord, it has to do with ownership. And the word in the Bible is actually stewardship. Now, most of the time, that word is used with money. But when this word was developed, it wasn't about money. If you've ever seen the movie Braveheart, think about that. There was a steward, was somebody that lived in a house on a farm. Think about that, say a couple hundred acres. And he had a nice house. But he didn't live in the big house. The big house was somebody that owned about three counties worth of land. He was the owner of the land. The steward was the guy in the nice house. The steward was to take care of what the owner gave him authority over and gave him responsibility over. But if something wasn't going right, you walk up to the big house. If you wanted to know what crops to plant, you went up to the big house. In this day and age, what does that mean? Well, let me give you an example. I worked at a, a facility. It was like an oil refinery, but it was in the coal industry in North Dakota. I worked there for 30 years. And if we had problems, there was always another office I could go to to talk to somebody. When I left the plant, I didn't worry about it. Why? Because it wasn't my responsibility. If there was something I... If, you know, if there was something I didn't know, the first thing I went to was an SOP, a standard operating practice. I would assume a lot of you know it exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you could even maybe quote yours. Maybe you've written them. But as Christians, we have an SOP. It's called the Bible. We have the man in the big house. That's Father God. If we refer to him as Lord, we need to treat him as Lord. We need to not take responsibility for things that aren't our responsibility. If things aren't going right, take it to him. Go talk to him. Can I tell you, he's very approachable. But know this, the things that you will not release to him, that you own, they're now your responsibility. There are things in your life that you're worrying about, that you deal with fear, that if you feared God and treated him as Lord, he would take care of. But it comes with trust. Trust is a challenging thing. 
I trust you to the degree that I know you. Some of you I know better than others. Hold on a second. I bet you have never seen anybody do this because we don't have a clock. I set an alarm. That way I know where I'm at in my message. To the degree that you know God is the degree that you will trust him. I encourage you to go up to the big house, spend time with him, build that relationship, build that trust so that you are willing then to turn things over to him. Show me, help me change, fill me. Those are the things that we need to ask our Lord. Show me how you want me to manage. I don't want to own my gifts and talents. I don't want to own my bank account. I don't want to own my children. I don't want to own my vehicles. They're a headache. But I want to manage them. I want to manage them the way you want me to manage them. Give me wisdom. Can I tell you God will? I don't know if uh, some of you do know um, Amber and Yomi. They used to go to church here. Uh, they, he got a better job in Texas. Uh, but some of you, I'm still in contact a little bit with them. But she posted something on Facebook this morning. And since it's on Facebook, okay, it's gospel and I can share it. But they're debt-free. That is exciting. Other, I think she said other than car payments. But they had, and I don't know their situation, but she had a picture and they'd cut up credit cards. But here's the thing. They were coming to Oasis and, and uh, we did a financial peace class through Dave Ramsey, small group. They came to it. We gave them some wisdom. They then had to apply it. They actually applied the tools. They're now debt-free. It took them some time. But they realized that managing was better than owning. Worship team, if you would come up now. We all have that opportunity. God puts people's in our, people in our lives to give us wisdom. He gives us a, a, an SOP, the Bible, but he also gives us people. And then we have to take those nuggets and decide whether we apply them or we throw them out the window. But it all is so that we can manage the gifts and talents and all the things that he's given me, all the things that he's given you of what he wants, of what you should do with them. <laughs> Don't kid yourself. You're not here by accident this morning. I'm not here by accident. And I can tell you, this is not where I thought I would be. I'm from North Dakota. We have a winter home in Virginia. Never thought I'd be standing on a stage in Winchester. Had never even heard of it till a year or two ago. As we packed up our U-Haul and headed east, because of experiences that I've had in a relationship, and it wasn't easy, but there was a trust that my Father in heaven 
He knows. I didn't walk in fear. Because some of this is pretty scary. And I know some of you are walking through things. It's pretty scary. But if the fear of God, the awe, and acknowledging and knowing who he is, that he's got this, that drives down your fear and the awe and the expectation of the amazing things he's got planned for you takes over. So there is a balance. I want to give you an example. Of what does that balance look like? And, if it, and I don't know about how you did driver's ed. <laughs> I came from a very small school, and I know that's relative, but in my graduating class, there was eight kids. So driver's ed was a pretty small group. And one, yeah, a very small group. We could all pack, almost all pack in one vehicle as we went to drive. But I grew up on a ranch, and so I knew how to drive. But the difference came, we had simulators. And it was where you sit behind this wheel, it looked like a car, and then you had a screen that you drove to, and the teacher would get it frustrated because he could see what we were doing, and we all had it floored to see how fast these simulators were going, and we're supposed to do it 25, and we're doing 90, you know. But So we're goofing off as kids. We didn't have fear of a car. We just wanted the joy of the freedom, but not the responsibility and the fear. So we went through that part of driver's ed class, and I don't know about you, but then there was part of the class where, and it stuck with me, I still remember, we saw a film on driving, and they showed car accidents, and they showed, and it wasn't real gory, but they showed people that were thrown out of the vehicle, laying in the ditch, moaning. It put a fear in me. Not a fear of like, I'm afraid to drive, because I drove here today. But a fear as far as Respect, honor, take care of. There's a responsibility. As Christians, we have that. That's that balance. So now I do buckle up because it's the law. But I want to give you a verse that has always stuck with me. It's found in Psalms 99 verse 5. It says, exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool. He is holy. Exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool. He is holy. First and foremost, you must understand that we serve a holy God. That attribute is used with God more than any other in the Bible. He is holy. <laughs> As I was preparing this and thinking about this, there's something about God that cannot change, and that is he is holy. Can I tell you, I am bald, and there's nothing I can do about it. It is not going away. God is holy. Sin cannot be allowed in his camp. Sin is not allowed in heaven. There is only one access, one bridge. It's called Jesus Christ. The younger brother found that. You can too. The blood gives us access into the big house. But when we come to the big house, we must understand he owns it. There is a footstool there. 
Do not stand on it and proclaim you are something you are not. Do not stand on it like a soapbox. But it is a place to kneel down to and declare he is holy. And can I tell you, he will wrap his arms around you. I don't know what kind of father you had, but he is the type of father that wants to envelop you in a hug. Tell you how special you are. The amazing future he has for you. And the only fear you need to feel is awe and reverence. And in that you will build a relationship and that trust will come. That trust and that wisdom. Where I worked, we used to have a saying, work harder, not smarter. That comes from wisdom. God is putting people in your path already that have wisdom. Latch on to it. And then look for people that you can latch on to, that you have wisdom, that you can pour into. That's how this game works. Jump into a small group. Go on to Oasis. I'm going to put a plug in there. We had a men's small group yesterday. We got together at Golden Corral. Some of us hung around for up two, two and a half hours, and we just shared. We just connected. If you would stand with me. I don't know where you are at with Jesus, but I know he loves you. And this morning, we're going to close with, uh, with a worship song. But if you don't know him, which brother are you? Are you the younger or the older? I pray that your heart is sensitive like the younger. Be bold. Cry out to him. If you, hear, if you feel your heart thumping, <laughs> that's the Holy Spirit saying, Hello. I want to walk with you. If you don't know him, say this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I want to know you. I want to trust you. Remember me when you come into your kingdom and help me to trust you. Forgive me. Amen. It is that simple. Now it's a matter of grabbing the SOP and walking it out. Thank you. Worship team.